Okay. Hello. Let's let's uh, we'll, we'll call this golden beer talks to order. We already have a question in the back. I want to have order. Order. <laughs> All right. I, I believe that we started this in October. Since we're, I'm one of the people putting this on, I should know for sure. But you know, things are all a little blurry to me lately for the last few weeks. Um, but anyway, welcome again to Golden Beer Talks, and we hope that you will enjoy this one as well. Uh, we seem to be having a success here with putting these on and kind of getting the program going. And we're very happy and appreciative that so many people are people that we recognize from previous talks. And they're all different, so there's also new faces, too. Um, this Golden Beer Talks, we have a cowboy poet. And for the beer, because that's my main job, we're featuring Golden City Beer again. So this is our third time we've got Golden City Beer. They're right over, about two blocks over, on 920 12th Street. So they're not on Washington Avenue, and they're not on a main drag. They're a great brewery. And what, they opened in 1993. And... This month, we have a little German theme going with our beers because we have a German-style black lager. They call it Tangled Schwartz beer. And I should... I, I actually put together a more detailed description because I stopped over there Saturday and tried to get a detailed description from the brewer, but more, more than just the basic stuff. And he said, I'll, I'll come back to you. And a couple of hours later, I had enough beers... And he'd never come back. And so I went home and I kind of researched it a little more. But he did give me a, a more complete description today that isn't exactly what's on the um, uh, notices that I put up. So the, the Tangled Schwarzbier is a German-style black lager that balances slightly roasted deep malty flavors with moderate hop bitterness. And uh, IBUs of 36 international bitterness units in the alcohol by volume is 4.9%. And these were, this is a German beer, originally paired with dark, chunky breads. Uh, also went good with sauerbrat and sauerkraut and pretzels. So, so it's that. And this comes from uh, Saxony, the Saxony area of Germany. Our other beer is Clear Creek Gold, which is a light, crisp, bright beer. Straw-colored hue, moderate hoppiness, a warm fermented beer. This is a Kolsch-style beer, which is strictly defined by an agreement among the brewers of Cologne in Germany. And part of the agreement is that there will be no special titles attached to any Kolsch-style beer. So no premium or super quality or special. So it's simply a Kolsch-style beer. And then, just for informational purposes, their legendary red is an Alt beer, which is another German-style beer, and that's from the Dusseldorf area. And their legendary red is a very nice beer, as, as are these. And it's a nuttier, firmer, and drier-tasting beer. And one thing that I wanted to point out about Golden City Brewery, just on all of the little trivia stuff, they've got some new tables there. They apparently have got, they're hooked up to little propane tanks, and they, they, they've got like little fires at night. I, I, I can only imagine, because I haven't been there in the evenings when they turn them on, but they've had these for a couple of months, and I only realized on Saturday when I was hanging out there and drinking beer there. I normally go get my growlers, go home, so I never even pay attention to their seating area. But they're like, they almost look like little bars, and they've got like ground up, uh, you know, glass in the middle, 
and then propane comes out, and they have little flames at night. Sounds really cool, especially after a couple of beers. Enjoy the evening. <laughs> yes. And Whitney will introduce our speaker tonight. Yes. All right, so I, I, I broke my left arm uh, on a horse-related accident, and this actually ties into Golden Beer Talks because a couple of times when I've gone to the, to the newer breweries, now Golden City, I'm, I've been a long-term patron there, so I talked to them and they took me seriously about this. Some of the others, they, you know, they were kind of like, yeah, 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 you know. Uh, he's had a few beers. He's, you know, I, I'm not sure what he's really talking about. And then I'd come back with my horse because... Like Cannonball Creek said, we'll give you a buck off a beer if you bring your horse or any other, uh, you know, low-impact transportation. So, okay. And so I brought my horse to a couple of places. I call it horse diplomacy to get the beer because it makes an impression when you come up and you tie your horse outside. And what I can say about my arm is make sure your saddle's tight, ride balanced, and don't pass too close to the wall in the indoor arena. And if you follow those three, you won't wind up with a broken arm. No, my, you know, my horse, she behaved magnificently. She was just like, yo, dude, what are you on the ground for? She was very nice. She, she behaved very well. All right. Have a good evening. Whitney. Thank you. Our beer ambassador, folks. Isn't he lovely? Oh, well, that's Frank, but I call him our beer ambassador. Yeah. Which has worked out awesome, uh, hence the horse diplomacy. So our speaker tonight has come down from Cheyenne. He didn't bring his horse for that long trip, but uh, we are really grateful for his presence and thrilled for him to share his talent. He's a published cowboy poet. His book is called The Ride, a collection of cowboy poems. Keith Rounds. Well, thank you, Whitney, and, and thanks for inviting me down here. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, Whitney has been a good friend of ours for a lot. Of, in fact, I knew her. Uh, I, 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 I've known her since she was born, and, and it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, it's good to be here among the beer brewers bunch. Uh, reminds me, of, I tried making beer one time, sent a sample in the state health department. They wrote back and says, Dear sir, we're sorry to tell you your horse has diabetes. <laughs> uh, Frank, I'm sorry to hear about your uh, your wreck when you're out horsing around. And, uh, I, I had a, a girlfriend once that she was only the rancher's daughter, but all the horsemen knew her. Also had one. She was a telegrapher's daughter, but she did it, did it, did it, did it. <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, the, she was only a she was only a bootlegger's daughter, but I loved her still. <laughs> this is the one that. Uh,
this this sparked the uh, the book, and uh, I need to tell you that the hard work for the book came from my lovely wife Linnea, that one right there, and she uh, uh, she told me in terms that even I could understand. It says, "Look, by God, we're not going to do this posthumously. Now get off your butt." <laughs> And this one sparked the the title, and it's the, well, I call it The Ride. "'Twas a dark and stormy day out on the range where old Slim was riding to pick up strays. There were big, tall clouds building in that blue Wyoming sky. They were dark at the bottom, but white way up high. This change in the weather wasn't lost on Slim. What was left of them patches of blue was getting mighty thin. Clouds were getting closer and blacker and thicker. Slim cussed himself because he knew he didn't have his slicker. I'm going to get wet sure as hell, that cowboy thought. Then lightning flashed and thunderclapped and scared both Slim and Mount. The horse jumped and crow hopped, but Slim stuck there like glue. Settle down, your honor, cuss. I don't need to be both wet and afoot, too. That lightning bolt and thunderclap were the first of many that day. That flash of light and terrible sound sent that horse on his way. With both hands on the horn, one foot in the stirrup, this ride wasn't for show. With old, <coughs> with one ran dragging old, dragging old Slim was a hollering, Whoa, you son of a bitch, whoa. He was running like the devil, missing gopher holes just by inches. That horse was trying to lose Slim, saddle, and cinches. The cowboy was doing his best to hang on, of course. It was a ride that could have been on Wide World of Sports. Slim slid along that horse from ears, to, from ears to rump, afraid to stay on and too scared to jump. They ran up hills and down the other side, old Slim hanging on for a memorable ride. With a bit in his teeth that horse had his head, he ran full tilt, not looking ahead. Slim was a-cussin' and sawin' on the reins, just a little concerned that his drawers would be stained. <laughs> that horse was a runner, he just wouldn't quit, haulin' Slim through the rain with a horn in his grip. Now, out here in the West, we don't get much precept, but when it comes all at once, you just wouldn't believe it. Well, this is one of those where the sky has dumped a load, a real frog strangler, the kind of which stories are told. This gully washer had filled up the draw, there was mud and water clear to the top of that natural trough. Slim started thinking. His worst fears he dreaded. It was soon apparent where that fool horse was headed. Oh, please stay out of that gully, Slim begged the horse. But the coyotes ran faster and ignored Slim, of course. Slim knew where the bank was, but it didn't matter. She was running a level full of mud and water. The place where they went in was pretty deep, and the horse walked on water for the first few feet. <laughs> then down he went with a terrible kersplat, and all you could see of Slim was the top of his hat. <laughs> Hell, it ain't even Saturday, and I'm taking a bath, Slim thought. And if I don't get out quick, it'll be my last. He quit the horse with a mighty lunge and popped out of the water all soaked up like a sponge. Swam a few strokes and soon reached the bank, grabbed a sagebrush and said a quick thanks. The horse popped up and eyeballed old Slim, turned right around and started to swim. Then the horse crawled out on the other side and Slim hunkered down to salve his wounded pride. When the rain stopped and the sun warmed up Slim, he swore that horse was laughing at him. <laughs> then the horse left, just decided to ski-daddle. Where they, 
Where the cinches broke, they found parts of the saddle. And I slim slogged through the mud as he walked back to the ranch. I'll kill that damn horse if I get the chance. Well, Slim's still punching cows, and his hair's whiter and not thicker. And on good days or bad, he always has a slicker. <laughs> now when folks ask about the horse that washed his hide, he says, hell, the horse was in charge. I was just along for the ride. The, the, the hat is part of the costume, and if, if my mom caught me in the house with my hat on, she'd kick my butt. Uh, but uh, forgive me, Mom. <laughs> now, this one is a kind of a meteorological, boy, now there's a six-bit word, a meteorological story that many of you who've been to Wyoming may have found this interesting weather phenomenon that, that we sometimes have. It's called wind. <laughs> I was riding fence when it started blowing a natural occurrence here in Wyoming. The wind she blew, the dust she flew, and I couldn't see for a minute or two. My hat was pulled down to where it hurt my ears, the dust making my eyes fill with tears. The wind was stiff, blowing hard, you see. It, it blew the shade from under the trees. <laughs> my horse turned her backside into the breeze. My shaps were flapping way out from my knees. I had to tie the tail down tight on my mount to keep the wind from blowing the bit out of her mouth. <laughs> we quit fixing fence because it got worse. We went home backwards and my horse in reverse. When we got to the house, me and the horse both numb from leaning into the wind, we walked out of plumb. A cousin from the east, well-groomed and respectable, stood in the house and witnessed this spectacle. Always blow like this, he asks, as I come in from the yard. Well, shucks, no, I reply. Sometimes it blows hard. <laughs> now, I'm sure that you know that most out cowboys like to dance, and I'm no exception. And I wrote about belt buckle shining. I like to trip the light fantastic. I know my way around the floor. When it comes to dancing, I ain't a spastic. The lady's been known to ask for more. <laughs> I like to do terpsichorean arts. There's nothing can compare. When I'm dancing with my sweetheart, we make a pretty darn good pair. I like to have an arm full of women. I like to dance up close. Cheek to cheek, close to abdomen. Don't worry about stepping on toes. Belt buckle shining is quite respectable. No, no steps left to chance. When it comes to dancing, you have to be connectable. And real cowboys don't line dance. <laughs> now, this one's a little more autobiographical, autobiographical than I like to admit. Uh, I quit smoking about 80 pounds ago. And, uh, and this was... Uh, Pretty much the result. I wasn't always this big. But I call it a horizontal belt buckle. <laughs> when a cowboy's a shade past his prime, a little something extra comes with time. His belly gets bigger and his pants droop down. And a horizontal buckle looks right at the ground. <laughs> it's furniture disease, so they say. Starts about when your hair turns gray. 
You may have heard of it before. It's when your chest falls into your drawers. <laughs> it's a little tougher pulling on boots and socks. It's no further down there to their tops. His arms aren't any shorter. They're just more of him in the hindquarters. His waist size isn't too much more, but he admits it's somewhat lower. <laughs> his ends seem shorter from too many meals, and the cuff of his pants is under his heels. It's a creeping case of horizontal buckle, bane of many a buckle. Dunlop disease, some have called it. A little more exercise might have forestalled it. Chances are his doc will holler and tell him, it's too much food you swallow. Or you drink too much, too much beer. You better cut back on that, you hear? Well, you can get it vertical. Now don't chuckle. There is a way to write that buckle. You already know, I suppose, that the solution is buy bigger clothes. <laughs> now, this one, I, I try to write all the stuff that I do. But uh, this one I took from a poet in Montana. His name is Wally McCray. And uh, perhaps you've heard it before, but it's just, it's just so damn good I could have written it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Reincarnation. What is reincarnation? The cowboy asked his friend. It starts, his old pard said, when your life comes to an end. They comb your hair and wash your neck and clean your fingernails, and that, then they put you in a padded box away from life's travails. Now the box and you who goes down in a hole that's been dug into the ground, and reincarnation starts when you're planted beneath that mound. The clods melt down just like the box and you who is inside. And that's just the beginning of your transformation ride. Now in a while the grass may grow upon your rendered mound until someday upon that spot a lonely flower is found. Then a hoss may wander by and graze upon that flower that once was you but's now become your vegetative bower. Now the flower that the horse done it along with his other feed makes bone and fat and muscle essential to the steed but there's a part of it it can't use and so it passes through and there lies upon the ground this part that once was you <laughs> and if I should pass by and see this on the ground I'd stop a while and ponder about this object that I've found I'd think about reincarnation and life and death and such, and I'd come away concluding, Bart Sheldrake, you ain't changed that much. <laughs> now, as I say, I, I steal only the good stuff. Uh, and this is another one that came to me Oh, a long time ago when I was a kid. I'm sure most of you have been to Alaska at one time or another, or at least wanted to. And there might even be some Texans among us. And this one is called A Texan in Alaska, and it was written by Bud Alden, a, 
an Alaskan poet. The den in the home of Tex Malone had trophies everywhere, but along one wall they left a stall for a good-sized polar bear. Now folks kidded Tex about that bear plumb past the point of fun, but sparked a flame that started that sparked a flame that brought him fame. Here's what old Tex done. Twas in Alaska late one fall where Tex had gone by air, and Tex's aim was trophy game, an Alaskan polar bear. He flew around just off the ground and tried to spot a prize. Then he saw a bear standing there, uncommon large in size. Now old Malone had showed the folks at home. He grabbed his biggest gun, ex executed a three-point landing, and took off on the run. No fur-lined cap nor heavy clothes to stop the bitter cold. One shot would kill him on the spot. Old Tex was downright bold. He crouched and aimed at point-blank range and... Uh, Texans never miss. But the gun had frozen the awful cold, and he hadn't planned on this. The bear closed in with a hideous grin, and Tex was on his way. That bear in second place, about 20 feet away. The Texans' run was not for fun. He was not for style. He stayed in flight for days and nights and covered many a mile. He burned a swath six feet across, right through the Arctic snow, with switching sounds, he zipped through towns of Alaskan Eskimo. Point Barrow, Nome, Fort Yukon, all in a single day. Then Fairbanks, Dawson, 40 Mile, and down the Alcan Way. The fantastic run of this prodigal son, 10,000 miles or more, <laughs> over rough terrain and mountain ranges, never climbed before. Folks raised a cry as he went by. Man, look at that boy go. With a screeching blast, he whistled past in a great big cloud of snow. Alaska's bigger than Texas, and he zoomed through like a jet. Ran plumb out of the Northland, and I reckon he's running yet. From Eskimos and sourdoughs, we gathered what took place. On winter nights, the northern lights reveal his ghostly face. The high-speed run of this Texas sun is a legend here to stay. The natives hold he survived the cold and then plumb waited away. He didn't win. He didn't place. He didn't even show, but he left a trail to carry a mail across the ice and snow. The polar bear stall on Texas wall is empty all this while. And Alaskans swear the smiling bear dropped dead at 50 miles. <laughs> Whitney didn't tell you this, but her dad and I were best friends, and we hunted and fished and did a lot of things together, uh, drank, <laughs> lied to each other. <laughs> in those days, when we were both smoking, we smoked a lot together, most of it legal. <laughs> but I wrote this about Dawn. And there's a little creek in Wyoming, west of Laramie, and about midway between Laramie and Rawlins, called Wagonhound Creek. Just a little bit of a creek, a lot of places you can just step across it. Don went up there and really, he was an expert fisherman. When you're roaming about Wyoming, places to fish are easily found. There's a good one where the fish run, a little creek called Wagonhound. This little creek, flows with browns and rainbows and there's more than a brookie or two. Don't use a plug, get a girdle bug and hope the fish aren't smarter than you.
Painter went out to catch a trout in the summer of 94. With, his glint, with a glint in his eye and a well-classed fly, he caught three or four or more. A fish took a look, and Dawn set the hook, and then the battle begun. Seven pounds of trout is what this is about, and it ends. Fish zero, painter one. All of his fish can't be counted, but this one he mounted. As I come to the end of my fable, I'm not kidding, damned if he didn't, put it on the wall instead of the table. <laughs> now, I'm going to wind up this goat roping and, uh, with a poem that I wrote for a little girl a long time ago. But I need to tell you that not only is Whitney very special to us, she has been a godson, particularly with regard to our kids and grandkids. Uh, I, I can't tell you how much she has helped us uh, in just so many ways. And when her and Bart got married in Steamboat in uh, 2005, I had the pleasure of marrying them. And I wrote an ode to Whitney. <laughs> Since her Cheyenne birth, I've watched this girl. She's always been a part of my life. I watched her grow and enjoyed the show and figured someday she'd be a wife. I remember those growing up years and some of her fears, and so if you should ever ask it, she won't deny that before she was knee-high, her first bed was in a basket. I watched her leave home, go out on her own to go to school in Flagstaff. It was natural that she would get a degree, then go out in the world to ply her craft. From her home in Casper, she moved out to master the political scene in Washington. She tried her hand at some capers, worked at newspapers, and wrote for Senator Al Simpson. I kept track of kept track through her dad, and he was always glad, to brag because he was so proud. To each other they'd speak several times a week, and he'd always praise her out loud. Their relationship was special, incontestable, more than just a daughter and a man, but he's up there surveying, and I'm sure he's saying, this is what it doesn't get better than. Thank you, you so much. Uh, this is a pretty good crowd, and there's a lot of you, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, what I appreciate most is you laughed in the right places. <laughs> and and I, I like to think it was with me and not at me. But uh, uh, I, I've got a lot of these things, and as Whitney mentioned, and I forgot to bring any with me. But this is the book. Sells for a paltry $10. Uh, Whitney brought a couple that I can peddle. Uh, anybody want to bid? <laughs> no, uh, and I've got a couple here. But if you'd like one, let Whitney know and give her your name and address, and I'll send it to you for a paltry $11. i got to cover the, the mail cost. <laughs> so uh, if you want one, let me know. If you don't, 
I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Whitney. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. break if you want some dessert or a beer or any other refreshments and we'll come back and do a little Q&A. Done. <laughs> Thought you'd had about all that you can stand. Uh, but I understand you have a Q&A section session and uh, I'd be more than happy to answer your questions or anything I can't think of I lie about. And uh, the rest of them, my wife answers for me. So uh, <laughs> if you have a question, sing out. Yes, sir. What was your first poem that you remember writing when you were little? The, the first one I did was uh, when we were at a family reunion, and it happened to be the, the same day as our anniversary, which was August 17th. And it was our 23rd anniversary. So with my clever mind, I wrote a poem and called it 23 Years. And uh, it was all about my wife and uh, our kids and, and our married life. And it's, uh, I'd certainly be happy to share it with you if you're interested in sitting for a little while longer. That was not a stage question. <laughs> uh, it's always good to have a shell in the audience. <laughs> Now, if I'd have been better prepared, I'd have it where I can find it right quickly. He said, reaching for his glasses. As I said, I, I very originally and carefully call this 23 years. A makeshift cowboy was sitting around waiting for a snowstorm to quit when the ring of the phone rattled his bones and made him get up rather quick. A voice on the line said it would be fine if I could just get a position. It certainly won't hurt you to, to learn of my virtue and let me fulfill my ambition. Well, needless to say, he hired her that day because he needed a good hand. So she quit roaming and chose Wyoming over her native flatland. Well, it took her a while to travel those miles on a Mustang not ready for snow, but she got to Cheyenne, this fair lady hand, all ready for the big rodeo. She threw her bedroll down on that cold Wyoming ground, determined to show her stuff. And it didn't take long to show she belonged, and the locals found out she was tough. She stayed on the ranch till there was a chance to throw her bedroll in with the foreman. She made it quite clear and whispered in his ear, I'm a Catholic, not a Mormon. <laughs> Despite the difference and without further reference, they staked out a claim for a few. They decided to adopt and liked what they got, a boy and a girl, both brand new. The first was a cayuse and a bit of a cuss, a wrangler who wouldn't be tied. He'd bellow and yell and raise some hell, but a good partner to have by your side. Wrangler Dan was a hell of a man, a wild one and a free spirit. But he held mostly in check and wound up on deck to serve his country with merit. The next was a filly, all prissy and frilly. Paula was girl through and through. This little heifer, fresh as a zephyr, would melt the hearts of both me and you. Well, Ma raised those two kids through fits as she did, and screamed and hollered a lot. 
She taught them that they shouldn't be brats and their manners should not be forgotten. Now, she's not content to stay home with the rent. She's a woman who's out on the move. She's a mover, a shaker, a sometimes risk taker, and she's listed in America's who's who. This flatlander turned cowgirl moved in with a squirrel and learned to love the West. She came quick out of the shoop and threw a long loop, and now she sits with the best. If you haven't all guessed it, I'm the fellow who pressed it. I'm the foreman with whom she moved in. She got caught in my loop, trapped in my chute. I'm the guy who was lassoed by Lynn. I ain't much of a poet, and by now you all know it, and there ain't much more I can say. It seems a short time since we shared that old line. It's been 23 years to the day. 23 years since her ma shed those tears, 23 years of our bliss, Seems a short while since we walked down the aisle, and I'll never get tired of her kiss. We've shared some good years, and not just a few tears. Some have taken their toll. But I just want to say happy anniversary, and mean it from deep in my soul. You're a big part of this cowboy's heart, and just like I said before, for the rest of my life, you're my favorite wife, and Linnea, I love you more. Uh, we, we've been married for 15 happy years, and that ain't bad out of 45. Uh, <laughs> last time I said that, I got up and apologized right after. <laughs> but I, I do this stuff because it's fun. Uh, most of my writings are the result of personal experience and uh, things that I have witnessed. Uh, I, the closest I came to being a cowboy was working a couple of summers on, on my uncle's ranch. And uh, I wasn't very good at it then either, but uh, it, it taught me a lot of things. And uh, we're, we're native Wyoming folks. My, my uh, ancestors moved to Wyoming in the 1850s and settled in the Bridger Valley, which is southwest Wyoming. My dad's maternal grandfather uh, was a Pony Express rider, and he rode between Fort Laramie and South Pass. His name was John Anson, and uh, in the course of time, from tales that my grandmother told me and, and other stuff, I wrote a, a pretty long, epic poem about John John Anson, but you don't want to hear that. You all go to sleep, fall out of the chair, and hurt yourself. <laughs> but uh, I, I just do it because it's fun. I started writing and, and enjoyed it, and... Uh, among other things, uh, for the last 14 years, I've been working for the Wyoming legislature. I'm, I'm the doorman, or I was because I quit, but I was a doorman at the House of Representatives and sitting outside the door, I heard everything that went in on the floor. And uh, so I'd sit there and make some notes, and at the end of the session it, it became uh, pretty much of a tradition that I would get up and go on the floor and and read my poem for that session. And I used to sting them as good as I could. <laughs> and sometimes they'd get done right snarly, but they, they, they all laughed. So I <laughs> and they didn't fire me, but I just quit. But uh, again, I, I do it because I, I like it. I, I don't know what you know about cowboy poetry, but 
it's a it's an art form of its own cowboy poetry uh, always has rhyme and meter as opposed to a lot of other poems like haiku or, or whatever don't necessarily have rhyme and meter uh, the stuff I write is usually in iambic pentameter or in couplets and uh, without rhyme and meter it just ain't cowboy poetry and, and that's what I enjoy I've heard a lot of people say that there's a lot of other forms of poetry but frankly I would tell you that uh, writing with rhyme and meter and uh, all of the rhymes that you have to make uh, sometimes gets pretty tough so you go out and you cheat I bought a couple of books it's a rhyming dictionary <laughs> that helps but uh, anybody, uh, how was that for an answer you didn't really want to hear? <laughs> yes, sir. So did you work with someone else to develop your cowboy poetry? <clears throat> no, I, I, listened, I listened to a lot of it, but I, uh, I, I did it on my own. I uh, liked guys like Baxter Black and, and those guys, but... Uh, uh, and I've seen Baxter a couple of times, you know. Uh, frankly, I think he's just too damn long-winded. <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't know what really sparked the flame, but uh, I have enjoyed it. Yes, sir. Never thought you'd ask. You're about as shy as Baxter Black. What? That's what I was just going to do. Uh, in, in working with the House of Representatives, uh, this is not a poem necessarily. It's with. Uh, with apologies to Dr. Seuss. But they, when they get on the floor, they would refer to an amendment or a bill and its bringer. And it just used to really steam my genes. You know, did they mean author? Did they mean sponsor? What? But they would say bringer. And it just burned my hide a little bit because I'm kind of a wordsmith anyway. And so I took this one on the floor and I said... Bringer is a word frequently heard whose meaning is obscured and many think absurd. Now sometimes in debate we hear some great and we watch them gesticulate as they articulate about one of their mates they call the bringer. When a major has a bringer, it must be a zinger or another humdinger who's been run through the ringer. A folk singer, a right winger, a left winger, but never a mud slinger. It must be a sponsor. It could be an author or a father or a daughter or a schemer or a dreamer with considerable demeanor who could be an interviewer or a gleaner with, or a screamer and perhaps a daydreamer. <laughs> I always thought that bringer was something that you said when you had it in your head to take a little chance on a new romance, ask a lady to a dance, and you said you would bring her. <laughs> So what is a bringer? Is it a clinker or a stinker or a free thinker? 
We ask a librarian, a sectarian, even a vegetarian, and a librarian and grammarian, and some say it's a cancer or a dancer or a freelancer or an enhancer. We still don't have an answer. Uh, The, the Wyoming legislature is peculiar in this country because uh, they meet every year, but on the odd-numbered years, they meet for just 40 days. And they have to get everything done. And of course, I see a lot of lobbyists in the lobby, and, and they really like the way we do business because it's quick and it gets done and doesn't drag out. Uh, on the even-numbered years, they only meet for 20 days. And that is reserved for uh, the budget. And so they, uh, they do all of the budget bill in, in 20 days. Well, this last session was the uh, 62nd. And I penned this one about these guys. The saga of the 62nd won't go down as a legend, even with belt tightening and budget bills. There were some social issues that brought out tears and tissue and some that made folks downright ill. Bringer is an anomaly that's crept into our vocabulary and we still ask for a favorable eye, which of course brings to mind, is there any other kind? When we ask folks to verify. The great scheme of things is not always what it seems. It's now legal to hitch a ride. Dine on roadkill and not pay the bill, but be sure to save the hide. If that's not enough, we really get tough and made an education director. Our current superintendent became, came nearly to end it when authority shifted against her. Another law, another became law, but newspapers said it was flawed. It allowed the university to keep a secret about how you could hire and not be required to search for a candidate and reveal it. Now look at the facts and raise the fuel tax. Came the plea for trans from transportation. Just make it a dime and we'll use it in time to help counter inflation. As we ventured into the session, there arose a pertinent question. All the laws had come to pass. With grand recitation and passionate oration, we wonder, do legislators really run on compressed natural gas? <laughs> <laughs> With strict gun laws looming and horizontal looks more gloomy, and the horizon looks more gloomy, we want to use silencers and suppressors. It, it, it enters our heads to arrest the feds if they become aggressors. After 14 years of trying to get folks to buy in and accept the notion of a lottery, it wasn't exactly flying and came close to dying like a chunk of wasted pottery. The fairest of the fair, Representative Rosie, cut her hair and gave a great gift of her own. It went to one who needs it and who will always keep it, none other than our own Representative Mary Throne. Now, th there's some subtleties there that not being there yet, <laughs> but the last bit. Rosie uh, is a legislator whom I've probably known for, I don't know, 25 years, and she had long black hair. It always come down to the middle of her back, and I'd never seen her without her hair. Uh, she was a, a Republican and chairman of the uh, 
the uh, Budget Committee. And Mary Throne is a Democrat and from Cheyenne and an attorney. And she was diagnosed just before the session as having cancer. And Rosie cut off her long hair to give to Mary Throne. And I, I just thought that was wonderful. I had to include it in here. <laughs> and, and there was another one uh, about the uh, superintendent of public instruction. She got cross-threaded with Republicans, although she's a Republican herself. And, and uh, so they passed a bill, it was the infamous Senate File 104, that uh, stripped her of all of her duties. Now, she's an elected official. And uh, you can imagine what kind of a howl that set up. And it finally wound up in the Supreme Court, and they determined that it was uh, unconstitutional because the, con the state constitution makes provision for an elected superintendent. <clears throat> well, she's still at odds with all the Republicans, and she's going to show them by God next year she's going to run for governor. <laughs> so that, that, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Huh? See, you get me started and just plug a nickel in and I keep right on going. How long were you in the 14 years. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Good job. Yeah. Uh, before then, I was a public affairs officer for the highway department and uh, the, the voice of the department, so to speak. And I told people that I did the same thing at the house that I did for the highway department bullshitting and getting paid for it. <laughs> yes, sir. Since you've known Whitney all her life. Oh, oh. All right. <laughs> I'd love to hear any stories you have. <laughs> How did she become the bug <laughs> Now, that one I don't know. But uh, uh, like I said in the poem, she, she did write for uh, Senator Al Simpson. And... Uh, I went to visit her one time in uh, Washington and, and uh, took her and her then-boyfriend out for dinner. Damned if they didn't order ostrich steak, which was the most expensive damn thing on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> the only real advantage was it probably used his hide to make my boots, you know. <laughs> ostrich is good stuff. It's good leather. Uh, but Whitney and her brother Ben have uh, always been super. And we hunted. My, my son uh, is exactly a year and a day younger than Ben. And I took him hunting when he was four years old and created a monster. But uh, Don and I hunted for years and years and years. And then our kids, uh, Dan and Ben, became super fast friends and uh, like brothers. In fact, they called each other that. And it's just been a, a wonderful relationship. And unfortunately, uh, Don died. He, he had a, a massive aneurysm and, and, uh, at, at the tender age of 59. And so uh, that, that was pretty painful. And uh, because of our relationship, I was the one who conducted the funeral service as well. But uh, we, we scattered his ashes in one of our favorite elk hunting spots up there. So that was good. But uh, there's, there's a couple stories about Whitney that I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have a 
kosher. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, when you, particularly when you uh, get off the road and go to some of these ranches, uh, like I, I know of a couple where they still hay with a team and a, and, and a cutter, and they still uh, gather hay with a, a bull rake, and uh, they're, they're a dying breed, certainly. <laughs> Yes. Can you leave us with your favorite poem? Do you have a favorite? Well, I think I already have. Uh, let me just look here and see if there's something that... <laughs> let me try this one on you. I, I call it a cowboy clone. Scientists have cloned a sheep and nurtured it in a jar. They've done a lot with genetics, but I wonder if they've gone too far. Think of the effect on nature. Will bulls and rams and studs become useless? What about natural acts? Will parts atrophy and, be, and mating become fruitless? What if they decide to clone a cowpoke? Take a hank of hair and a piece of bone or something that ain't been broke. Suppose the chunk they used was exposed to his stock or his steed, and there'd be something of a lamb or a calf or a colt in this new breed. A cowboy gets close to animals, some might say intimate. He's vaccinating, inseminating, getting calf slobber, or stepping in it. So test tube thinkers, test tube tinkerers better watch what they replicate. Because there ain't a cow hand yet, and I've seen I'd like to see him duplicate. <laughs> if they took a chunk to clone, I ain't sure to be quite pure. There'd be a piece of some old critter, most likely it'd be manure. <laughs> and he'd turn out foul and rotten and cussing bad, though not his own fault. We'd have to shove him off a cliff and make an obscene clone fall. You'll get it, Mark. <laughs> you're, you're a great group, and I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this, and uh, Thank you. certainly. <laughs> we enjoy it. Thank you so much.